the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. blind but now 
after Peter and John healed the cripple at the gate, a crowd came, and he preached an awesome sermon to them and then closed in Acts, the third chapter, beginning with verse 19. Consequently, you must repent and turn around. Most translations have it, you must be converted. But the literal meaning of the Greek is active, present. You must turn around for your sins to be wiped away. In other words, your sins cannot be wiped away if there is not a very specific change of behavior that goes along with your confession of sin. If we simply say, I'm sorry, it's not enough. If we say, I repent, it's not enough. Repentance includes a turning around, a change in behavior. A man told me, I now follow Jesus. I'd like to come on Sunday. I'm sold out to Jesus. And I said to him, well, you're welcome to come. A short time later, he sent me a text and he said, you know what, Pastor? It's not convenient for me to come that distance. I'm way over in Tyson's Corner. No, Reston. I'm way over in Reston. It's not convenient for me to come that far. I think I'm going to just find a local church. I wonder what he'll do when he needs someone to pray for him. I wonder how he would respond if I said to him, I'm sorry, it's not convenient. It's not convenient to pray with you. Obviously, you get the point very clearly. The walk with Jesus is not about convenience. It's about inconvenience. It's about denying myself, taking up my cross, and following Jesus in service to others. It's inconveniencing myself to love another person who needs help. It's not putting myself first. Now, what if I stopped everything that was not convenient? I'd have no ministry. Because ministry, by very definition, is inconvenient. Peter is saying, you must turn around. You must stop trying to be convenient in your life. You must change. You must put yourself at risk. You must inconvenience yourself if you're going to follow after Jesus. And for your sins to be wiped away so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We want the presence of the Lord to come and refresh us and anoint us with power if it's convenient, by very definition, power of God never comes as a convenience. It comes as a very serious responsibility to be spent 
dollars, time, energy, life for the lost and the dying according to the great commission Jesus gave in Matthew to go. So first the invitation is come and then it's go. So we're reading this incredible book by Jackie Pullinger, Chasing the Dragon. It is a story of a woman who chooses, out of great love for Jesus, to inconvenience her whole life, now over 50 years in Hong Kong, to save the most evil men and women anywhere on earth. Prostitutes, drug addicts, violent men who murder, who rob, who have no source of income except as they steal it from others or get it from prostitutes for their pimps. Utterly desolate. But Jackie would say, where it's the darkest, the light shines the brightest. So we want to go to the bright places and have everything convenient. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, Ray, I'd like to visit the National Prayer Chapel, but it's not convenient now. Please, if it's if it's not convenient and you don't want to inconvenience yourself, please don't come. The National Prayer Chapel is a fellowship. We meet in my home, in our home. And it's about healing and restoration. It's about being prayed for and praying for others. It's about making a decision that I will inconvenience my life to serve Jesus Christ and to serve the poor. So are you willing to inconvenience your life? That the times of refreshing may come from the Lord? Well, let's go to the book, Alexandra. What would you like to say to introduce it? Well, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress, where Pastor Ray Greenlee and Alexandra Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel, and we're very happy you've joined us today. And I would just add, if you're listening to this broadcast today, and you are poor, if you are in a place where you are in bondage, you're addicted to drugs or sin, you may have a sex addiction, there's all sorts of bondages that we find ourselves running into and then we can't get out. And I just want to pray, Lord Jesus, I ask that each person listening right now who is in any kind of bondage to the devil, that you would break that now in the name of Jesus. Yes. By your mighty power and by your blood shed for them on the cross because you love them and that they would be free to start a new life in you, Jesus, with their past wiped clean. Yes. And have power from heaven to serve you and to love others. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're reading from Chasing the Dragon by Jackie Pullinger. She 
we read yesterday she started a youth club in Hong Kong to try to keep at the time the uh, cultural revolution was going on in China and so there were a lot of riots a lot of refugees flooding into Hong Kong and she found that the young teenagers to whom she was ministering were being paid to participate in these riots and to throw stones so she said I've got to keep these kids out of these riots. I don't want them to go into the gangs. I want them off the streets. So she started a youth club where they could come play ping pong. She would share the gospel with them. She would help them to, say, apply for school or to get a job. And finally, after praying with a Chinese couple who had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it went from being that she had no converts at all to now she had her first convert, a young man named Christopher, and that just kick-started a whole number of these young men who were between 13 and about 18 years old coming to Jesus. So she writes, Although the Christian group was growing, not all of the walled city boys were so clear about why I was there. Many of them came to the youth club for what they could get out of it. When we went on Saturday picnics or camps, I did not make them pay. I paid for the coach, rubber boats, football boots, roller skates, and even for the picnics. They were not grateful. They considered themselves underprivileged people and imagining that I had a wealthy organization behind me, they wanted to squeeze me for anything that was going. They regarded this as their right, and they were demanding and aggressive. Such was true of a young man named Ah Ping. During the months and years, I got to know Ah Ping very well. He came to the youth club a lot. He was often with us on walks and expeditions. I learned that he had been initiated into the Triad Gangs when he was only twelve, four years before, and that he already had a reputation as a fighter who had started to collect followers of his own. One night, when he was hanging around in the street outside, I came to the youth club feeling very depressed and needing a kind word. He sensed that I was feeling a bit down and said, You'd better go. You'd better leave this place, Miss Poon. You'd better go because it's no good you working here. You should find a nice group of nice students to work with. Find some well-behaved school kids to preach to. They'll make nice Christians. We're no good. We never do what you want us to do. I listened without replying. Don't know why you stay here. You find us school places and we don't go to school. You find us houses, and we muck them up. You find us jobs, and we lose them. We won't ever change. All we do is take. We take you for every penny you've got, and we kick you around. So why do you stick at it? What's the point? Well, I stick around because that's what Jesus did for me, I replied. I didn't want Jesus, but he didn't wait until I wanted him. He didn't wait until I had promised to reform. He didn't wait until I got good. He died for me anyway. He died for me when I hated him. 
and he never even told me off on the cross. He just said he loved me and forgave me. This is the Jesus that came into the world and made dead people rise. This is the Jesus who came into the world and did miracles. This is the Jesus who only ever did good, and he died for me. They said he was the Son of God, and he loves you, too, in the same way. Ah Ping did not answer at first. Then he said, It couldn't be. Nobody would love us like that. I mean, we... His voice faltered, and then he continued. I mean, we have to rape, and we fight, and we steal, and we stab. Nobody could love us like this. Well, Jesus did. He doesn't love the things you've done, but he loves you. Really, it doesn't make sense. But all the wrong things that you've done, he said were his. When he died on the cross, Jesus pleaded guilty to your crimes. That's really unfair, isn't it? He said that your stealing and your stabbing were his. If you give him all the bad things you've done, he'll give you his new life, his righteousness. It's sort of like giving him your dirty clothes and getting back his clean ones. Ah Ping was shattered. He could hardly believe that there was a god like that. He sat down there on the stone steps to the street and told Jesus that although he could not understand why he loved him, he was grateful. He asked Jesus to forgive him and change him. Ah Ping was the first gangster from the fully initiated triads to join the Christians. When he was only 14, a young bar girl had offered to support him in return for his protection. In other words, that she would be a prostitute and give him the money. He had even sought my advice over it. Now his lifestyle changed dramatically. Each night, he brought his brothers to the club room and asked me to tell them about Jesus. More and more known crooks turned up to shake me by the hand or thump my arm muscle. The few remaining straight types, the students, left the club because they felt discriminated against. It must have been the only Christian club in Hong Kong where the good guys felt less welcome than the bad ones. However, I felt that there were dozens of places all over Hong Kong where the nice boys were catered to, so I let them go. It was not for some years that we were able to bring these two groups together and break down the wall of separation between them. Some of my friends in Hong Kong met Ah Ping and invited him to tell his story in church. Be careful, I warned him as we came out of the club room at midnight into the black street. Satan doesn't like people talking about Jesus, so he'll probably have a go at you before Saturday. Go straight home tonight and don't stop along the way. All right, all right, Miss Poon, he said, nodding sweetly. But as soon as I had gone, he exploded. The devil? Ha! What rubbish! I know these streets like the back of my hand. What, me? Worry? And he wandered around instead of going home. As if from nowhere, seven men jumped out of a black alley and attacked him. They were Chu Chow gangsters, big for Chinese and wild fighters. There was no reason for their attack, 
but that did not stop it from coming. Later, Ah Ping told me, as they came at me, I had two thoughts. First of all, huh, it's all Miss Poon's fault. And then, you're supposed to pray. So he prayed as the wooden bats beat him unconscious into the ground. Didn't do you much good praying, did it? scoffed one of the club members when he heard the story. Yes, it did, retorted Ah Ping. I'll tell you why. As soon as I began to pray, my father came down the street, and when the Chu Chow saw him, they ran away. Otherwise, I would have been killed. As it was, Ah Ping was left on the ground with a gash in his back and a hole in his throat. His father summoned help from his gang brothers from the 14K. They found him and took him to a doctor, who gave his professional opinion that Ah Ping's injuries were so bad that he would not be able to walk or speak for at least two weeks. Ah Ping's brothers determined to seek revenge on his behalf. They held a council in their gang pad and discussed tactics. Okay, the Chu Chows made it seven to one. We will take 50 to attack them. That's reasonable. Then they took long knives and choppers from their secret arms cache and told Ah Ping, Look, we know where one of these Chu Chows lives. We're going to take him and his family members out of their house one by one and stab them, right? Ah Ping indicated through his injured throat, No. I'm a Christian now, and I don't want you to fight back. Then he gathered one or two of the youth club members who were believers, found my room, and asked them to pray with him. All night, they prayed for the gang who had attacked him. Ah Ping once told me that triads were so touchy that they would threaten and even kill over trifles. Once he had seen a boy wearing the same shirt as he was, so he fought him. He had come a long way since those days. As well as praying for his enemies, he also asked the other boys to lay their hands on him and pray for healing. The next morning he was completely healed, and he could talk clearly. In fact, he spoke in church just two days later. He spoke of the change in his heart, how he had given up stealing, and how he had been healed. He also mentioned that he would no longer take the devil lightly. Now he knew that the devil was around. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, but gang fights are not easy to stop. This kind of problem was one that the new converts would have to face all too often. I remember one Sunday evening inside the Olwa church. It was not a day off for most people in the walled city. The fact was, you could hardly get to church. It was a sort of a source of pride to those prosperous Christian Chinese folk. As I looked up from the organ keys, I could see some of the teachers from the school together with various hawkers and vegetable sellers and other traders. They all looked to be solid, law-abiding, decent folk, serious and respectably dressed, although most were very poor. The fact that I troubled about the young tearaways really rather appalled them. This Westerner, they thought, 
simply doesn't understand how wicked these boys are. They did not like having the boys in church with them, whereas I sat there hoping and praying that some of them would come. All at once the little door swung open violently and the boys arrived. The sight of their teddy boy shirts and tight trousers sent a ripple of fear through the congregation who thought it was a raid by the triads. At this time I was too little, a little surprised because the boys were in a terrible state. Normally scruffy, this time they were caked with filth and blood having come straight to church after a terrible fight. Several of the boys had dull red abrasions on their faces, one hunched over, limping from a blow to the groin. Their clothes were torn, their eyes were staring. However, they sat down and stayed quiet throughout the service. As soon as it was finished, I got up and hurried to find out what had happened. Apparently, they had walked into a trap carefully set for them. As the boys entered the local public lavatory outside the walled city to clean up for church, a group of youths had leapt out of the cubicles where they'd been waiting and savagely attacked them with bats. Several were quite badly hurt. I took them out of the walled city, called a taxi, and went off to the hospital with them. That they should come and find me at church after such a terrible fight pleased me very much. Naively, I thought it was wonderful. Praise God, they've come to church. They've come in here. They haven't gone to a gang leader. They've come to Christians. But I was soon to find out that the rest of the congregation saw the whole incident quite differently. They were outraged that the boys should have dared to invade their church looking and smelling so dreadfully. They did not accept that boys like that could become Christians. They expected an inward change to be followed by an outward change into shirts and ties and lace-up shoes. And they were particularly upset that I had allowed the boys to come into church immediately after partaking in violence. The elders were convinced that I was being used by a bunch of unscrupulous rascals. In their experience, no one like that had ever become a Christian. And when I asked that some of the boys who had become Christians should be baptized, their answer was a straight no. They told me very firmly that the boys should have a time of testing first. This ban on their baptisms meant that the boys could not take part in the breaking of bread. At first, I continued to encourage the boys to come to church, even though they were clearly not welcome. Then one day, a wise and older missionary, George Williamson, came to the walled city. He watched what was going on and understood the whole situation immediately. Jackie, he said, why do you make these boys come to church here? There was no escape. I had to give an answer. Well, for two reasons. One is very negative. It's because I don't want to be criticized and I don't want everyone to think I'm doing my own thing. And George smiled and he knew how the older generation disapproved of women missionaries taking their own initiatives. Second, I continued a little more confidently, 
I think these boys need elder brothers and sisters and need family of the church in the same way the church needs them. It's not healthy for us to be simply a young person's group. I felt that George, with his background, would be sure to agree with me, but he did not. No, Jackie, your boys are not ready yet. You should look at it like this. They are seedlings that you wouldn't transplant too young because they die. At the moment, the boys can't take the knocks they're getting from the established church. It's too soon to expect them to make allowances for the attitudes of the church people. You can't expect them to have that sort of grace. I felt amazed. He was asking me to go ahead and do my own thing. He continued, Look on them as seedlings. Take them away and care for them. Tend them until they've grown up. Then they'll be strong enough to stand and take the knocks, and then you can plant them, and they can help the church grow up. The church in Hong Kong isn't ready for them yet. Therefore, instead of insisting that new young Christians join the church, I expanded our Bible study group. We met several times a week and were now open on Sunday mornings. The club room was used more and more and began to be well known among triads even outside the walled city as a splendid place to spend Saturday evenings. We had a raucous singing session and ping pong. If I insisted on prayer, most of them would go outside and hoot in friendly fashion in the alley until I had got it over with. Then back they swarmed. Without Dora Lee, I could never have coped. She had been head girl at St. Stephen's School, and together with other students helped me with the kind of Chinese translation I could not manage, like translating from the Bible. She was an outstanding Christian, for years giving up most of her weekends in order to help the boys understand Christ. Dora's help was valuable in other ways. She taught me much about how Chinese people think and react. The more I understood, the more I realized how English methods for telling the world about Jesus Christ and how to follow him did not work out as practical possibilities on the other side of the world. Worthy members of the Christian Union talk about prayer in terms of getting up early and having a quiet time with God. But this sort of advice was quite impracticable for the boys I knew. They often lived in a house with ten other people. It was never quiet, and no one had a bed to himself, let alone a room. They slept in the bed on a rotation system, some working while others rested. The idea of finding a quiet place to study their Bibles and contemplate the Almighty was a joke. But praying in a new language is essentially practical because they could walk along any noisy Hong Kong street and no one would notice. Many of them could not read, so my suggestions had to be workable. This I learned through a sad experience when one of the boys prayed that he desired to follow Jesus. In misguided fervor, I gave him a copy of St. John's Gospel scripture notes on St. John, and two booklets entitled Now You Are a Christian and The Way Ahead. 
I did not see him for two years, and I felt hurt and concerned for his spiritual well-being. When I saw him again, I asked why he had been avoiding me for so long. He looked embarrassed. He said, I wanted to know Jesus, and you gave me a library. I re-examined some of my concepts about studying the Word of God. The early Christians certainly had no Bibles. They must have learned another way. For those who could read, I suggested they take a few moments from their factory benches by retreating to the toilets to read a few verses. Others found they could memorize a few lines. I tried to see all the boys I knew as often as I could, encouraging them to follow Christ's teachings. They did make progress, but there was never enough time to see everyone. My school duties curtailed my time, and my inadequate Chinese meant that I found it pretty difficult to convey spiritual truths. I needed more hours to study. Practicing with the boys was not enough when I did not understand the complex structure of the Chinese language. As the pressure grew worse, I began to pray about it. Lord, I've got too much to do. I need more time to spend with these boys, and I can't do this if I have to spend much of the day teaching. You have promised to provide our daily bread. Please let me know if you will provide mine without my earning it. Three days later, the phone rang. It was Claire Harding, the friend who had introduced me to the Willenses. She came straight to the point. Jackie, I wanted you to know that when you leave St. Stephen's, we want to offer you some money. I was staggered. No one knew that I was even considering such a move. But hang on a bit, I gasped in reply. Who told you I was leaving St. Stephen's? As it stands at the moment, I'm not. Claire did not hesitate. Yes, I know you aren't leaving right now, but Neil and I have been praying together and I wanted you to know that if you were thinking of leaving, we'd like to offer you 200 Hong Kong dollars a month. Well, in any case, if I left, it wouldn't be until July at the earliest, because I must continue teaching until the end of the school year. Claire replied, The money can't be available until July anyway, but I just felt that I had to call and tell you now. It was mid-November. Her call was a great encouragement. I felt that if God could tell someone who did not know I was even considering leaving my job to offer me a monthly check worth about 33 US dollars, it was nothing for him to provide my whole living. Now, many years later, I realized that this was the point where I decided to live by faith. But at the time, I had never even heard of the phrase, and I would have found it hard to tell anyone about my financial needs. I knew surely that if God wanted me to do this job of working with the Walled City Boys, he would provide. It never worried me in the slightest as to how he would do it. The telephone was ringing and ringing in my dreams. I struggled awake, clambered out of bed, and lifted the receiver. It seemed to be the depths of the night. Actually, the time was around 5 a.m. A ping spoke in a quick, strained voice. Poon saw. 
You've got to come quickly. Someone has broken into the church, and there's a terrible mess everywhere. And he hung up. Despite the sticky heat, I shivered as I hurriedly climbed into yesterday's clothes. I had moved by this time to the Kulon side of Hong Kong and was sharing my apartment block with 8,000 other sardines. When I reached the street, it was still dark. It was asleep, deserted. No buses were around, so I ran and I ran. My friend at the baker's stall was lifting a tray of hot pineapple buns out of his oven, carefully parking them on the pavement. At last I found a cab that would take me to the walled city. When I got there, I hurried again through the torturous alleyways, the smills and the filth, to the club room. I was ready to find a mess. The scene that greeted me was beyond my imagination. Benches, books, ping-pong bats, skateboards had been thrown around and smashed up. Far worse, the filth of the alleys had invaded our clean club. Someone had deliberately thrown sewage all over the walls and the floor. Ah Ping had no need to explain anything. The, the destruction screamed its own message. I wanted to sit down and cry. My pride crumbled to dust. I thought these, bur these boys were my people who trusted me as a friend. We had other problems, but really everything was fine. Then they threw feces all over my walls and showed what they honestly thought of me in the four-year-old club. All right, God, I said. Enough is enough. I don't mind working here forever as long as they appreciate me. But if they don't want me or you, I don't have to stay here. I can be a Christian in Kensington. And no normal thing like normal people. I can, I can do these. I can do dinner parties and discussion groups and apologetics and concerts. After all, I really don't want to stay down here for the rest of my life playing ping pong. I mean, God, it's no joy for me to have a little room like this. I'm doing it for them. I'm willing to pour my life out for them, but if they don't want it, they need not have it. Let's close the room up. Resentment burned at me. They'll soon miss the club if I close it up. They'll soon see what they've done was really harming themselves. I have to confess, I've often felt similarly about radio. Lord, why do I have to do this? Nobody cares. Nobody responds. And that's not true, is it? Some of you respond with amazing love and generosity and gratefulness. And I think all we can say is some of you have just wound your way into our hearts and we love you. But I do have to admit, there are times when I say, Lord, do I have to continue doing this? I'm tired. I'm tired. I don't want to do this if it's not going to result in revival. That's not my choice, is it? 
You want to say anything, Alexander? Just continue reading. Oh, Alexandra is not sympathetic with me. She's not done it as many years as I've done it. So she's rather impatient with my feeling like this is hopeless. She's a great encouragement to me, as you can tell. She has a wonderful sense of humor and displays it often, sometimes at my expense. That's okay. She's won my heart too. Continuing in the reading, but at the same time, I also heard what Jesus had said. When people hit you, you should let them hit you again. And when they persecute you, you should bless them. My telephone this morning already has probably 50 to 55 phone messages cursing me, calling me every name in the book because this person doesn't like what we do on the air. And she hates Christians. She used to be one, but now she hates Christians and she hates Jesus. I count it as a blessing to be so persecuted. And it, act it actually moves us into intercession and prayer and blessing for her There was another insistent passage about praising God in all of your troubles. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to howl and wallow in self-pity. I wanted my enemies to suffer too. I certainly did not feel like rejoicing or turning the other cheek. So I spent the whole day sweeping up the place, muttering tearfully, Praise God, praise God. I hunched over the bamboo brush and swiped the floor savagely but less savagely as the day wore on and more sadly praise god praise god i had fits of sobbing the foundations of my world lay in ruins the next night i opened a club as usual for the first time i was frightened not of being beaten up for god had always protected me from that but of being rejected by the boys that i had loved and ministered to I did not know who had done it and why. And I stayed there in the club, trembling all over. I was lonely and vulnerable. I've experienced this as a pastor. And it is lonely to be rejected by the people you've loved to suddenly find that they are judging you and criticizing you and leaving in droves because you have done what the Lord has directed you to do. And yes, it has brought tears and sadness. And now we are a home church having been kicked out of the All Saints Anglican Church because of our beliefs in the power of the blood of Jesus to entirely wash away our sin. 
they believe in the sinning Christian, and so their bishop ordered us out. And yes, I shed some tears over that. But it's okay. I bless them in the name of Jesus. A youth I had never seen before leaned against the club door. He jerked his head at me and spoke coolly. Got any trouble? No, no, it's fine. Thank you very much, I replied. But why are you asking? He sucked in his cheeks and thumbed his chest nonchalantly. Got any trouble? You just let me know. I'm happy to hear that, I said, but who are you? Who sent you? Goko sent me. I was shaken. I knew exactly who Goko was. He was the leader of one branch of the 14K and was reputed to have several thousand little brothers in the walled city and surrounding areas. He controlled all of the opium dens and vice in the area. The fact that this stranger had even used Goko's name to me was undoubtedly a compliment. It is both a term of endurement and respect, meaning my big brother. He was the big brother of the big brothers. One of the little brothers in my club had confided his name to me with awe, and now even ten years later, gangsters were daunted that I knew his name for it was only ever mentioned among themselves. Although I knew Goko's name, I'd never met him. For some years I'd sent him messages, but he'd always refused to see me. The messages had simply been, Jesus loves you. I could understand why Goko did not want to see me, and but why, why had he gone to the trouble of sending me a guard for the club? Goko said, if anyone bothers you or touches this place, we're going to do him. My protector continued. He demonstrated exactly how they intended to do him by graphically picking up an imaginary dagger and thrusting it low into a victim's belly. Thank you very much. How kind of you. I'm really most grateful, I said. Would you mind telling Goko that I'm most appreciative of his offer, and don't want to offend him, but I don't accept it. Actually, Jesus is looking out after us. He said something in Cantonese, equivalent to, you must be cracked. The stranger was not at all impressed with my stand, his contemptuous expression showed that he thought he was talking to a crazy Westerner. Anyone who thought that Jesus was a fit protector here in the walled city absolutely had to be deranged. The following evening, my protector returned, and the night after that as well. He clocked in every night, just like a night watchman. I discovered that his name was Winson, and that he was under orders to watch the club. I began to tell him about Jesus. He certainly did not want to hear what I told him, but as he was on guard duty, he had to stay. <laughs> After a few nights of softening up, he began to talk about a friend of his who had an opium problem. I soon realized that this friend was Winston himself. 
so I told him that opium was no problem. All you have to do with anyone who has an opium or a heroin problem or any other kind of addiction is to lock them up in a room for a week. Certainly, they suffer agonies during the process of coming off the drug. They may even lose their sanity, but they will also lose their physical dependence. However, the cure does not last. As soon as you unlock the door, they will go straight out to take whatever drug it is to which they are addicted because their mind and their heart continue to crave it with a force they cannot possibly control themselves. Only Jesus, the Lord of life, can settle a person's heart inside and take away the craving. I told Winston this many times. He always stood outside the club door, lounging in proprietary fashion. He would never condescend to come in, never interfere. He watched and listened to the boy's spirited renderings of the current in him. Then one night, late in the evening, when the club was almost empty, I said, Now how about you coming inside and praising God? Okay, he said without hesitation. I was stunned, for by this time I knew who Winson really was. His rank in the 14K triad was number 426, which meant that he had the special rank of fight fixer. His job was to fix the fights and choose the weapons, the location, and the strategy. He was a very tough triad indeed. And yet here he was, standing inside my club, praising God at the top of his voice. He was belting out solo, give me oil in my lamp, as loudly as he could. And as he had no idea how to sing, it was an amazing noise. A wonderful burst of tuneless sound. Then he began to pray in Chinese. Mercifully, he had never heard anyone praying before, so it came out quite spontaneously. I have never since listened to such a joyous prayer. I kept thinking, where did he get that from? Although, of course, I knew. It was an extraordinary session, for the next moment, Winston began praising God in a new language. This was even more surprising as he had never heard about the gift from me, nor to my knowledge had he heard anyone else speaking in tongues. After about half an hour, he stopped. The miracle had taken place. He and I knew that he was completely cured of his drug addiction. He had come through withdrawal as he prayed. When his voice died away, I told him, Praise the Lord. That is wonderful. Now what you have to do next is to lead your gang to make the same discovery for themselves. You can't follow your big brother Goko anymore. No man can have two big brothers. You have to follow Jesus or Goko. You cannot follow both. So Vincent went back to his gang leader Goko to tell him and the other gang leaders that he now believed in Jesus. We're going to stop there for today. What do you need from Jesus today? How do you need to be set free? What kind of judgments, bitterness, anger do you hold in your heart? What kind of selfishness do you hold? Are you addicted to drugs? 
to sex or to money? Do you recognize there needs to be a change in your life? Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Are you willing to walk into the room with Jesus and be changed and transformed? Are you willing to stand for your big brother, Jesus? I pray you'll treat these questions very seriously. We have about a minute and a half left in this broadcast. You can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. If you need to pray for the Holy Spirit, for his presence and his power, if you need to be delivered and you're now willing to lay your life down for your big brother, then be inconvenienced and come to a house church, humble for Jesus. I'll give you a phone number. Call me, Pastor Ray or Alexandra at 703-489-1785. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. We've been reading from Chasing the Dragon by Jackie Pullinger. Join us again tomorrow as we continue reading. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.